<laughs> that, that's what United are. They're a trust fund. They're also a content provider. Yeah, a sitcom and football club is not really one of them anymore. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. All right, you're welcome along. It is Thursday's Off the Ball. Nathan with you until 10 o'clock this evening. We've got a busy show ahead. The Shamrock Rovers defender Lee Grace going to join us at half past seven. Bring a brilliant week for Rovers. Guaranteed place in the Europa Conference League and maybe even a spot in the Europa League, depending on how they get on against Ferenc Varos over the next couple of weeks. Back in action against Derry City in the league tomorrow night. Then after eight o'clock, we're going to talk to Ed McGreal about the... Mayo Hunt for a new football manager. Uh, a committee has been appointed. Four star studded lineups all battling it out to become the one, the man who finally leads Mayo to the promised land. So we're going to get the latest on that. And then after nine o'clock, John Giles will be with us. Uh, he'll be talking about the brilliance of Erling Haaland and the absolute mess that continues at Manchester United. 53106 is the text number. Add off the ball if you want to get in touch with social media. We'll also be getting in touch with Stephen Doyle, who is out in Tala for St. Patrick's Athletic against CSKA Sophia in their Europa Conference League qualifier. Of course, uh, Pat's with the lead from last week, so we will check in with him in a few minutes as well. But Richie McCormick is with us. Evening, Richie. Nathan, how are you? I'm all right. Joe Malloy is there as well. Good evening, Joe. Good evening, gentlemen. How you doing? Uh, so, the Mayo manager, it's not going to be decided on social media. It's not going to be decided on social Well, I think that is a waste of the Mayo madness. An absolute waste. So let's get a poll up right now on who the next Mayo manager is going to be. Go with people. Don't bother hijacking it. Don't try and screw us over. You had your chance. We want the right man to get the job. It is a star-studded selection that is going to be made over the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about this after 8 o'clock. A reminder. A reminder of those in contention. So first up, we got Kevin McStay. Yeah. Who I think is probably the favourite right now mm. in his backroom team. Stephen Rochford, who got Mayo closer than anybody. Closer than anybody in the backroom team. Not even the main man. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, chipping in when needs be. Donny Buckley. Everyone always says Donny Buckley. Yes, adds a lot to any ticket. Ex-Bell Mullet manager, Damian Mulligan. And current Bell Mullet manager, and arguably the greatest Mayo man of all time, Lee McHale. Tough to beat. Tough to beat. So next up then, we have Declan Shaw, Casabar. Mm-hmm. He's going to be joined by Paddy Christie, Casabar's Richie Feeney, Sligo's Desi Sloyne, and Mayo native Cormac Rowland. Not quite as high profile, but there might be something about that that the Mayo County Board are attracted to. And I did see Shaw did a big interview with the Mayo News on what I can bring to the job, you know, so he's out there uh, garnering publicity, you know, building from the base. Mike Solon, who has been in contention many times before. So Mike Solon's team includes Aidan O'Rourke, who was involved with Down last year, which he probably put down the CV a little bit, I would say, when he's uh, presenting to the Mayo County Board. Uh, Eamon O'Hara, Sligo football legend. And former Mayo senior footballers Mark Robinson, Ronaldson and Alan Murphy, who's a former Mayo footballer, but also former manager of Goa United. So uh, quite an interesting ticket. I'm sure Mike Solon will be able to call on his uh, brother Barry as well on the strength and conditioning side. Uh, led Mayo to All-Ireland glory at underage level, so definitely got to be in the mix as well. And we also have Ray Dempsey, who sort of fits the James Horan mould in many ways. He's always felt like a similar footballer to James Horan in a lot of ways. Has a lot of success uh, in Mayo uh, at club level. So this is going to be decided. A committee has been put in place. They're going to meet over the next couple of weeks. And the problem Joe feels with having such high-profile nominees is that whoever gets it, it feels like the it's going to be messy for those who miss out. You've been silenced. 
Sorry, that's completely my fault. I'm muted. How so? Messi, how so? Well, if you don't give it to Kevin McStay at this stage, yeah. Yeah. like you have such high-profile people. Like, how could Stephen Rochford get Mayo so close, so close in 16 and 17, but now not be good enough to be part of a ticket to get the job? Hmm. If Mike Solon doesn't get it, you know, he's put together a stellar backroom team. He's had success at underage level. Well, what else do you need? Hmm. Who are you giving it to, Joe? It's very difficult. I, like, to be fair, I don't, very, I don't know very much about Shaw, for instance, or what he would say in an interview or the presentation he would make. And I presume these interview processes are increasingly going that way, where it is more than just a chat over a cup of tea in the local hotel. At a glance... There's something pretty stellar about the McStay ticket, you'd have to say. That's box office. It is box office and has a lot of experience and All-Ireland winning pedigree at club level and McStay and like McHale. And as you said, Rochford got Mayo playing some beautiful, brilliant football. So it's very box office. It's very strong. You do, if you were in the county board and you were thinking... We don't want to take chances here. We want really, really, you know, high-end, safe pair of hands. People who've been there and done it and know what it's about. That one's calling out to you. The worry for them will be it's too box office, that they are almost too media savvy, uh, too high profile. You know, I heard you say, was it last week, about, you know, James Horne is probably holding his head in his hands going, this is the last thing. The last thing yeah. that Mayo football needs is this sort of yeah. hype and conversation that, like, the hype builds and builds and builds when you've got Max Day, McHale and Rochford all on the one ticket. It does, yeah, it does. Now, to be fair, what we were talking about was we, we expect like an imminent presidential debate between the candidates on Midwest. And then also, I think, like, a, you know, vice president where Rochford and McHale go up against uh, Shaw's backroom team on a separate day on Midwest. You know, th- that kind of a, a public uh, process, which would, you know, this thing was becoming more than any other uh, county. You can't not give it to them because they're high profile, I don't think. I, I suspect they're savvy enough that they'll handle the media McStay will actually, you know, take a lot of the, the attention on him and do the interviews and let the players go off and do their thing. It'd be a weird reason not to give it to them. And let's be honest, you lads love the hype. You're <sighs> mad for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, like Mayo Mania. That should be number one on the list of what, yeah. who's going to get us most excited about this rather than exactly. anything else. And all of them are in that sort of more modern uh, coaching setup where you do have the one person out front who would be a Kevin McStay and behind that then is the actual coaching team and McStay is the one who oversees everything and runs everything and does all the the uh, the more administrative side of it. Uh, a lot of people feeling that actually this should be played out on TV in the style <laughs> of The Apprentice. Who would play I mean, the role of Alan Sugar's at text? Aidan O'Shea, Jimmy Sloyne, Kevin Kilban. Oh, Kilban, straight in. Kilban, that's a great yeah, shout. I mean, it's a, we we have a long six months. If you're an intercounty fan, I mean, I know it's, it's it's sacrilege to say that you prefer the intercounty game to the club, but if you are an intercounty fan, this is the kind of content you need to get you through the dark winter months. So, um, yeah, like I remember interviewing McStay last summer, or the summer before, one or the other. It's very hard to keep date tra- dates um, coherent in our heads as we know at this stage. And he was adamant he was done. So upset with the way it went the last time. I am done. I will never go for it again. It just shows, doesn't it, when that reality presents itself again, how easy it is to get tempted. We've got Lee Grace coming up in about 20 minutes, the Shamrock Rovers Mm. defender. And uh, interesting backstory, one of these who didn't have any underage career 
at all a real late developer uh, went into the army wasn't selected for regional teams representative teams any of that goes into the army plays for the defence forces side gets recommended uh, down in Carrick and Shore to Shane Keegan for a couple of other players in that area Shane Keegan brings him into the League of Ireland with Wexford Youths goes on to Galway and then kicks on to Shamrock Rovers where he's been went fit pretty much and ever present over the last couple of seasons and he's been brilliant this year and he was Making that point that comes up every so often with sports people, Joe, you know, he was told he was too small, didn't make the mm. Kennedy Cup squad, felt he was good enough, but not big enough, uh, was born in December. And again, yeah. you look at that relative age effect, which we've spoken about in the show a few times, and how difficult and how insanely difficult it is. It just doesn't make sense how a player is born in that final quarter of the year miss out on the opportunity for so long. And as he said, all those players that he played with pretty much, that his mates that he hung around with that were being selected for these teams, like most of them aren't even playing football anymore, never mind playing League of Ireland football, but that he missed out. And just reading again some of the statistics, and Emmett Malone had the story in the Irish Times from a few years ago, was, and uh, we had, I think we had a debate about this at the time as well, and Laura Finnegan was on, who's doing a lot of work down in Waterford IT around football research as to the stats behind it. And she looked at the 2019 under 17 European Championship, which took place in Ireland. And of the players that played in that, 57 of them were born in January. Three of them were born in December. Yeah, it's incredible. And there was a study done by a Swiss-based football organisation about a decade ago and it was so widespread they looked at the top 31 european leagues the top 31 and that encompassed nearly 30,000 players and again very similar stats very stark so you have uh, in the first quarter of the year i think up to 23 weeks obviously look january is the bonus month you're Mm. um you know you're celebrating if you've got a january child but the first 23 weeks seem to be very prominent and uh, of those 30,000 footballers in the european leagues 30, 30 percent came from that quarter, whereas only nineteen percent in the top leagues came from uh, the final quarter of the year. So it's stark; it's well established at all levels. And you know, we've there's the occasional um, December baby. I mean, like um, our guest at half seven, who who perseveres and comes through, and they almost surprise everyone when they get to yeah, late teenage years or, or early twenties. And then I think we all know a couple of people who we played with who were you know, rarely on teams or really struggled. And somehow they had the resolve to turn up every week and go to training every week and be on the sidelines, which is miserable. Because I like I was of a generation where, and thinking back on it now, it's terrible, really. But I was of a generation where like there were often unused subs mm. in our, you know, under 11s games and under 12s games. I like, had away this conversation from home, recently driving. with uh, lads that I played with in Ballyhonas and we were talking about our under 13, under 14 team. And uh, my dad was the manager of the team. So somehow I squeeze in generally. But there were a couple of lads who used to come every week and like, they just wouldn't get a game. And we'd be up in Ackle. Like Ackle's two and a half hours on the bus. Yeah. And like nobody even thought that about it. it was now oh, you picked your best team and out you went. And like these lads used to come every single week. Uh, listen, I've been, there. I, I've been there. I've been like, lads, we're only 2 0 up. I can't bring you on. You know, this <laughs> this kind of thing. And But some of those would persevere. I think the majority would get fed up, understandably. Some of those would persevere. But then they could really blossom, mm. like in a way that would surprise you, because they have been up, in effect, training twice a week against uh, people who would be, in effect, 11, sometimes 12 months older than them. But the vast, vast majority are lost. And, and it is that problem that, we, you know, we've talked about relative age effect before. It's not just I'm bigger than you and I grow in confidence. It's it's primarily I get picked in the team. So I'm accumulating all of this match experience, all of this practice. I'm generally on the best teams. I'm therefore getting the best coaching. And so what is 
at the outset, a very small gap, which is um, six or seven months bigger than you. Give that four or five years of the coaching and the game time. And suddenly that gap is just, um, it's unbreachable. You, you, just, you just can't make that up. And it's, it's such a loss. And it's funny, the only country where it was um, an, an exception, those stats, was in England in the study I mentioned. And that was purely because they did the cutoff point based on school dates. So it was um, September 1st mm. instead of January, but the correlation stood. So, Which used to be I the case know. in Ireland as well, because when they did a study on this of Irish players in the Premier League, initially it was actually the final third of the year because it used to be when those players were coming through, August 31st was the cutoff date. So it was the players born September, October, November out of Ireland who had more chance of being successful. But obviously since everything moved to the 1st of January, it's yeah. changed. Like, it is such a deep-rooted issue. Like Belgium brought in a scenario for their underage teams where they had a second underage team made up solely of players born in the second half of the year so that they wouldn't lose them. But as you say, if you're born in December or November and you've had four or five years from under eights, under nines at every level where everyone's bigger than you, you're told they're bigger than you, all the attention is on them, just even the psychological impact that has on you and how you think of yourself compared to them. By the time it gets yeah. round to 15, 16, I wouldn't say it's irreparable, but it, no, it, 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 it's it, very hard to overcome. You can't make up the game time. You can't make up the game time. Like, I'd be a huge advocate of splitting it up into six-month age groups. Like, we've more than enough kids. We've more than enough volunteers. There's more than enough interest. Sport is huge. I, and, like, the reason to do it is not so we're, like, a better factory and we're producing more elite footballers. It's for It's so that kids stick at it longer and enjoy it more and you don't lose more to the game like the the one thing like there is though the the players like like grace that do come through Mm. those december players that do come through like it's that old thing of like the younger brother in the family is always the best because he's been playing against his older brothers in the garden and had to hold his own against much bigger types so like if you can hang in there you really can have an advantage from it but but in the main the stats are overwhelming well joe i've just given you your first talking point for next wednesday night with michael owen who was born in December, but as you say, maybe the England system was different, which is the reason he got in there. That could be it, yeah, September. Uh, Kylian Mbappe, also uh, born in December. So it's not everybody. There's always going to be the few outliers, as people have pointed out, which was the book uh, by Malcolm Gladwell that went into this in depth. Uh, but get your text in, 53106. Maybe it might come up with Michael Owen. Maybe it won't, but he's going to be there at Vicar Street uh, next Wednesday night alongside yeah. Ian Rice, Karen Carney, uh, Emma Byrne. Joe's going to be there. Kathleen McNamee's going to be there. It's going to be a brilliant night. We'll bring you more info on that a little bit later on as well. You can get your tickets now, by the way, uh, if you want for that at otbsports.com forward slash events and a reminder uh, that all the ticket proceeds from the night are going towards supporting Irish women's grassroots football and on the night we're also going to give away an amazing prize to one audience member of a trip to a Premier League game of your favourite club terms and conditions do apply but get those tickets now on otbsports.com forward slash events the news round brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, there is golf taking place in Ireland this week Richie Surely is, yeah. Leona Maguire just a shot off the lead after the opening day of the LPGA Tours World Invitational in County Antrim. The Cavan golfer shot a five-under round of 68 at Galgorham Castle this afternoon. American Amanda Doherty also played Galgorham today and she heads the field on six under par. Stephanie Meadow played Masserine Golf Club and she carded a disappointing four-over round of 76. Yeah, it's a really interesting event, this. So they've uh, LPGA 
ladies European tour and men's European tour event both taking place this week uh, up in Galgorm at the same time and they swap courses and Leona Maguire is obviously playing there uh, which is huge for the event as well uh, with Paul McGinley on Golf Weekly and I, I know we always recommend Golf Weekly but I would heartily recommend uh, getting on to otbsports.com forward slash Golf Weekly and subscribing because he was brilliant he hasn't been on the podcast for a while because McGinley is right in the heart of everything that's happening with Live Golf he is a board member with the European Tour so he is sitting in on all of those conversations and I think he just wanted to wait till he was fully on top of everything and these initial court cases were out of the way before he could speak about it uh, but Joey was brilliant this afternoon he was yeah, very open right. on his and yeah. gave as much as he possibly could on what he what's happened inside and the feeling of those on tour to players who are coming back such as you know Richard Bland not a big name but playing this week on the European Tour despite taking the live cash last week and also what he thinks might happen over the coming months yeah no, he was really good. I mean, he's it's, 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 it's just such a brilliant broadcaster now. That's what strikes you when you listen to him do these things as much as anything. And uh, we pressed him. We're like, if you were in Henrik Stenson's position, would you take 40 million if you were the Ryder Cup captain? Come on, you would. 40 million. And in fairness to him, he was absolutely staunch that if he had signed a contract to be captain, he absolutely would not have uh, broken it. The, uh, the overriding thing, actually, I thought, which kind of came through in the conversation, it was very, very open. And yet, I don't know what you thought, but he was also acutely conscious of the fact that the European tour at large, and he's on the board, are heading for a courtroom. And things that are said publicly are being scrutinized by the opposition and probably vice versa. And this whole thing now is like drowning in a kind of paranoia and suspicion and uh, watching each other very, very closely because they know they're heading to court. And even just this week, we saw in California mm. in the discovery WhatsApp messages and text messages and emails, everything's out there. Like, it, it, Richie, it's obviously, and we discussed it, it's massively divisive for golf and bad for golf, it, it, just from a purely sporting point of view, like having the best players in the world split up and not seeing them play against each other on a regular basis. Like, part of me wants this to go all the way, all the way to court, because even the bits of juicy gossip we got on Monday night, that was one evening for about two hours, weeks and weeks in this, of Phil Mickelson's text messages, of Dustin Johnson's text <laughs> messages. Oh my God! It's it, 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 it is going to be glorious. Yeah, but it, it's ugly at the same time as well. Like I'm reading that book, uh, the dirtiest race in history at the moment, about the 100 meters in Seoul in '88, and one of the characteristics of it was how Ben Johnson and Carl Lewis were kept apart for so long in the lead up to Seoul in '88, despite the fact that there was this simmering rivalry. So you never really had a really good gauge of who is the best against whom, and that's going to be a similar situation. I know you pointed out before that the majors are going to be almost added to because they're you know the only occasions when uh, these players will come together as well as the JP McManus program I guess um, but I don't know it, it just takes away from it, sport is, is bad when it only peaks once every like few months it, it needs to be consistent you need to have like a league based thing whereby it's continuing on every week is meaningful every week means something not just oh well, this one's worth like 122 million euro as opposed to this one being you know a piddly little 10 million euro who's going to watch that it, it's not good and it, 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 i think it'll drive ultimately this will drive people away from the sport in mm. terms of viewerships and i think that's that's what's going to bite and it will bite eventually and when that happens it'll probably be too late for at least a couple of these tourists to try and save themselves uh, as an aside that sounds like a very interesting book by the way i might nick it off you when you're finished brilliant with it. When it's they brilliant. were all on the starting line, was it like a complete open secret? Like, were they looking across going, you know, I oh, like they, I know they, what I'm they, doing and we all know yeah. what each other's doing? Or would, would no. they have emerged slightly surprised? Hang on, were you all no, at no. it too? 
Now, I think that judging from, like there was even people going back and forth between the camps in terms of people that were working in the background with Ben Johnson were suddenly like having chats with Carl Lewis asking, hey, do you want a little bit of help from me? This is just in terms of people who were, there's this one Jack Scott who had this machine that helped uh, recover, athletes recover quicker. Um, so he was going and talking between the two camps, obviously unbeknownst to the others. Um, but like they all, they all knew what they were what they were at there was a cohort of athletes that were working um in essentially in the ben johnson camp that were all doing the same thing um and everybody kind of knew that carl lewis's uh, positive had come from um earlier on in, in 88 and was essentially covered up and was you know brushed aside as being non um basically wasn't done with the intensive doping it was uh, because it, he'd taken this supplement and this, this is part of the supplement so it wasn't intentional doping but like they all knew what the other was at yeah, and the US right. and the UK teams were training on top of each other ahead of soul literally in the same complex right. so okay. yeah but it's, I, I can't recommend this book enough that the dirtiest race in history it's it's the detail in it is phenomenal and is really really evocative but yeah alright we'll have to do a book review uh, over the coming months and that. Uh, Richie, what else you got with us? Uh, we're tied up uh, in time. Yeah, we'll go to the St. Jude. That is underway. The uh, first stop on the FedEx Tour playoff. Shane Lowry has started on the 10th. Uh, he has uh, birdied his opening hole. He's one under par there. Uh, conversely, Rory McIlroy started at the first and he bogeyed his first, so he's one over. Seamus Power level par through his first two holes thus far this evening. And Olympic gold medalists Fintan McCarthy and Paul O'Donovan eased into the lightweight men's double skulls final at the European Rowing Championships today. They won their heat in Munich and will return for the final on Sunday morning. Also straight into their final, the women's four of Emer Lam, Tara Hanlon, Afrikyo, Natalie Long. They finished more than three seconds clear of Denmark in their heat today. Sunita Pushpur and Zoe Hyde were third in their heat to progress to the semi-finals of the women's pair. And Margaret Kremen and Lydia Heafy were second in their heat of the lightweight women's doubles goals. They'll be back for tomorrow's repechage. Uh, I'm never quite sure what to believe when it comes to Manchester United anymore, Richie, but some interesting transfer speculation this evening. Oh, there certainly is. Paris Saint-Germain are hopeful of signing Marcus Rashford from Manchester United. According to L'Equipe, discussions are already underway with Rashford's representatives. New PSG head coach Christophe Galtier confirmed today that the club were trying to recruit another forward and sporting director Luis Campos is actively in pursuit. Rashford has just entered the final year of his United contract, but they do have an option of a further year. So essentially, he's got two years left on that deal and uh, United would be in control, I guess, of the negotiations in terms of a fee. Only one game in, Joe, but there was no signs on Sunday with a couple of misses that Marcus Rashford had that his confidence was coming back. Four goals last season. And at the same time, while this feels like a maybe a perfect situation for both clubs, with Manchester United, like, who do they replace him with? Well, they, can't, like, they, they can't afford to let him go, I think. So, uh, that is a strange move. Yeah, dreadful form for a long time now. No sign of it returning. I, I got, they've been watching him for the last year. That's I mean, and obviously they feel like oh we can rehabilitate him and get some spark back and everything else. Um, and like for United, he's one of the very few who've come through the academy, which does kind of count for something as well. You'd be they'd be loath to let him go. I don't know. Be interested to see what money they're offering for him. It it feels like like the Rashford thing's in real danger of just. Um, you know, dissipating totally. So uh, he is still only twenty four. Like that's the know, only thing. I Even know, I was surprised I by that when I was doing my stats for the commentary last Sunday. That like he's still only yeah. twenty four. But like, those two misses he had on on Sunday, like you, a top quality striker takes them. And even at his best, there was always questions about like yeah. was he going to get to that level where he'd be yeah. the thirty goal, thirty five goal a season striker. 
but I've never seen a player's confidence so visibly shattered as Rashford's has been over the last 18 months. Looks like he'd yeah. rather be anywhere else. Anywhere. I, like, and, and, and here, unfortunately, is where like, what we can offer up meets a, a, a dead end because we just don't know. But it's been such an extraordinary decline and, and like, such an evaporation of confidence. You just, who knows what's going on with him? You know, it, it's, been so, it's been so stark. So uh, we don't know. But at, like at, at the moment, there's no sign of a recovery. Put it, we can put it that way for sure, whatever the issue is. I think the problem is he was born on the 31st of October. <laughs> that's, that's a good month in England. That, that'll do you. That's why he came through. He was know? at an unfair advantage, you see, at a young age. And now the late developers have caught up. Maybe that's it. Maybe yeah. that's it. All right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Even his work rate, though, you know, like even, even what, whatever about the confidence and the missing the chances, like he's had his hands on his hips for like a year, it feels like. And, and no one can seem to get, get that love of the game back from uh, Joe. Great stuff as always. Thanks, lads. Richie. Thank you. Tom Dunn show tonight at 10. As always. All right. Richie McCormick, you literally cannot turn on your radio and he is there wherever you go.